Thank you, Tom. We are turning our attention away from the Gospel of Luke for a couple of months to go to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this sermon series that we're beginning today is the product of years of frustration, meditation, study, prayer. And the frustration was present and has been present because Though there seems to be a desire on the part of most professing believers to evangelize and to make disciples, at least in theory, there also seems to be little clarity on how to do so. And I believe this is due maybe to the fact that most of us have not really been discipled, at least individually discipled ourselves. You know, the way we've done church is we invite you to church, we put you in a Sunday school class. If you've been around long enough, you may have been placed in a discipleship training class. And if you get discipled, it comes out of those contexts. And what we've done by doing that is take the responsibility of disciple-making away from the individual, and we've made it a corporate thing. So when we talk about discipleship, the first question people want to know is what program are we starting, what room are we meeting in, What study are we doing at the church, in the building? And we've we've turned disciple-making, in our minds, into something that corporate church does when Jesus made it very clear that disciple-making was something that we as individuals are supposed to do. So when I say that, many people get out of shape and, and uncomfortable because we've never been personally discipled by anyone ourselves. That includes me. Also, if we're honest, many of us personally struggle to live the Christian lives ourselves. So when we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror, we think, I don't really want to export this to somebody else. I'll leave that to people who are more qualified. I'll leave that to people who are more quote-unquote gifted. I don't want to reproduce myself. So we end up preaching on making disciples. We write books on making disciples. We have conferences on making disciples. We have studies on making disciples, but we never really seem to make disciples. At least well. Wouldn't it be great if God had just given us a very clear process for maturing and making disciples? Just give it to us in the Word, step by step. What does it look like to make a maturing disciple? disciple in Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, I think in these few verses, we're going to see Peter give early Christians a comprehensive Holy Spirit-inspired discipleship process that will produce mature and reproducing disciples. And we can't really argue with this because it's coming straight from Scripture. Now, if you think my sermon maybe more lengthy this morning than normal, you can thank me later when you see everything I cut out last night and this morning, okay? So just hang on. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 2, and we'll look at verse 2 down through verse number 11. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. 
For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. We're going to look this morning at this entire text and then we're going to spend the next couple of months fleshing out parts of it to help us see what it looks like to mature and be a maturing discipler and disciple ourselves. But as we introduce this study this morning, looking at this whole text, I want us to see six words. I just want to draw out six words and... Uh, those of you who love alliteration or hate alliteration, they're going to begin with the letter P. So you can either now love that or not like that, but hopefully it'll help remember help us remember what we see here. The first word is the word provision. The word provision. Look in verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us, given to us, provided to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Here in the very beginning, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making very clear for us that the Christian gospel does not initially ask us to do anything. The Christian gospel, at first proclaims and announces to us what God has done for us. He has provided us, granted us everything. Specifically, everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's what the scripture says. Everything pertaining to life and godliness has been granted to us, given to us, provided to us, free of charge. God did not meet you halfway. I know that's catchy for the evangelist. God didn't take 999 steps towards you and and, and wait on you to take that one towards Him. Jesus came all the way. You didn't bring some positive things to the table. Everything, everything, everything came from Him. James 1.17, every good gift. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He has provided us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And we read on in verse 3. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us. 
by his own glory and excellence. He not only provided us everything pertaining to life and godliness, but he called us by his own glory and excellence according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has provided to us all that we need through the knowledge of him who called us. Let this word provision sink into your heart. Let this word provision sink into your mind. He has provided us by his grace everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mark Dever said in his book, Discipling, which we've encouraged you to read with others, he said, being a disciple of Christ, in other words, does not begin with something we do. It begins with something Christ did. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He loved the church and therefore gave himself up for her. He paid a debt that he didn't know, but that we owe. And then he united us to himself as his holy people. God has done the work. So we see this provision, this provision of all that we need. And then out of that provision also come promises. That's the second word I want us to see in verse number four. It says, for by these, by these things that he's giving, uh, given us pertaining to life and godliness, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. He's not done giving yet. He's provided us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And then he's gone beyond that and he's provided us promises. But not just promises. He says they're precious promises. That word precious there implies valued. These are valued promises. That word implies costly. These are costly promises. They're free by grace, but they are costly promises. The word implies great price. It's also used in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now think about this. Peter is using this word in 2 Peter. Peter used the word in 1 Peter. Surely he meant the word to mean the same thing. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, Peter writes, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Peter uses this word precious to describe for us the blood of Jesus that redeems us and cleanses us from our sin that we just sung about that speaks for us. And he uses that same word to say these are the kind of promises that he's given us, costly, valued, great price. And they're not just precious promises, but he says they're also magnificent promises. And that word magnificent carries with it the idea of large and great. Large promises, great promises. Hebrews 10, 21, that word is used yet again. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. Who is that great priest over the house of God? It's Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying he has given us freely by grace 
precious blood of Jesus, precious promises. He's given us magnificent greatness of Jesus, magnificent promises, so that by them, by these promises, we may be like him and escape corruption, which leads us to the third word, which is partakers. So we have provision of everything related to life and godliness. We have promises that come along with that provision. And then there's us, the partakers. God did not need us. I know that we think God needs, needed fellowship with us, so he came to save us because God really needs fellowship with us. He had fellowship from eternity past in the triune being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had perfect unbroken fellowship. He didn't need us. We are partakers. We're like baby birds with our mouths open and mama bird is doing it all. God the Father is providing us with everything pertaining to life and godliness. God is providing us with precious and magnificent promises. And we're just the partakers. Specifically, what are we partakers of? Verse 4, For by these He has granted us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of what? Not just the promises, not just everything pertaining to life and godliness, but that we may be partakers of the divine nature. You just hear what Peter said? He said that we can be partakers of the divine nature. Godly nature. Holy nature. And escape the corruption, the corruption that is in the world by lust. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness, called by Christ, given precious and magnificent promises so that we can be become partakers of the divine nature. How is this possible that people like us can become partakers of the divine nature. Well, we know that at the end of the age, we are going to very literally be partakers of the divine nature. 1 John 3, 2 tells us that we are now children of God, but it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. In other words, when Christ returns in glory, and we see him as he is, we will be transformed from these mortal bodies into immortal bodies. We will be transformed from the perishable into the imperishable. We will put off the flesh and we will put on the divine. We will be like him. We will not be him. Don't think we're going to become little gods. That's the teaching, the false teaching of the Mormons. But we're going to be like him. But there's more. It's not just at the end of the age. But it's even now. Even now we can take on the divine nature. And even now we can escape the corruption that is found in the world. How? Because of all that God has provided us. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. All of his promises. We can be like him. We can be like him because we're escaping the corruption that is in the world. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 22 to 24 reflect this. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote as we think about partaking of the divine nature and putting off corruption. It says, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. You see, we want to get away from the corruption in the world that is according to lust. And Paul is saying here, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. He's saying the same thing. And that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What is the likeness of God? It's the divine nature. Paul is telling us the same thing Peter's telling us in 2 Peter. That we need to get away from the corruptions of the world and the lust of the world and we need to put on godliness and Christ-likeness and holiness and the divine nature. Here's one that's not in your notes if you're following along. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says this, Because we have these promises... Dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit. And let us work towards complete holiness. There he says it again. Because of the promises of God, the precious and magnificent promises of God, let us cleanse ourselves from the corruption that is found in this world and in our body and in our spirit and let us work towards complete holiness, godliness, the divine nature. We, we have been provided everything pertaining to life and godliness we have been provided precious and magnificent promises so that we can be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is found in this world all around us. Which leads to our fourth word. Progression. There's a progression. So we, we are provided. We're given promises. We partake. And we progress. There's a progression. Look in verses 5 through 7. And this is where we're going to spend the next couple of months in these verses, topically walking through each of these qualities that Peter lays out for us, beginning in verse 5. Now, for this very reason also. What is this reason? That God has provided us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That God has given us precious and magnificent promises. That we've been partakers of the divine nature and we can escape the corruption that is found in the world. Because of these things... Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And the implication there is in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge implies supply self-control. And in your self-control perseverance supply perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love there's a progression a discipleship disciple making discipling progression as diligent followers of Jesus Christ partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is found in the world through the lust of the flesh as diligent followers of Christ our faith will supply moral excellence. And our moral excellence will supply knowledge. And our knowledge will supply steadfastness. Going on and going on and going on throughout the progression. Now God is the one who furnishes us with the faith. And out of that faith comes or issues moral excellence or virtue or goodness. Which then produces knowledge. Which then produces on down the line. It's like we get the faith 
from God that supplies us everything pertaining to life and godliness that Peter lists right here. It's of grace. And they all mesh together and come out of one another. One commentator wrote these words, Of each pair of graces here mentioned, the one is to be in the other like adjoining colors of the rainbow, mingled with it and exhibited along with it, and then all coalesce into one bright orb of beauty, binding together heaven and earth, God and man. For of the glorious arch, faith is the starting point, and the consummation is love. So, since God did it all, we can all sit back on our laurels, enjoy life, and if it doesn't work out, blame it on God. Not exactly. You knew that wasn't true, right? Some of your translations may say, add to your faith moral excellence or add to your faith virtue or goodness and to your moral excellence knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and to your self-control steadfastness that may be what some of your translations say because it's a difficult thing to translate so one translation which i preach from the new american standard bible which i've found to be very literal very faithful to the original greek and hebrew says your faith is going to supply moral excellence, your moral excellence is going to supply knowledge, your knowledge is going to supply self-control, and on and on and on. And then other translators say, you need to add to your faith moral goodness, you need to add to your moral goodness knowledge, you need to add to your knowledge self-control. And Peter even tells us, apply all diligence to this. Don't just put forth some effort, give 100%. Apply all diligence. After all, it's, it's only logical that the one who provided us so much and made us partakers of so much would deserve and demand that we leave everything on the field for him when we go to our grave. That raises a million-dollar question. Do we add to our faith? Or does our faith supply us with something? And I think the answer is both and. It doesn't always have to be either or. It can often be both and. God works in and through the faith that he has provided us to produce in us a a measure of moral excellence and to produce in us a measure of knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. At the same time, we must and should with all diligence pursue moral excellence and seek seek to add to our faith The spiritual elements that bring about maturity. Yes, God does the work, but we apply all diligence to go after those things. It's both and. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Listen very carefully to what Paul says. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed. Who's obeying? The, The church at Philippi. Just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who's working here? The church, the people. Then verse 13, he flips it around and says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see what Paul's done? He said, I want you to go after some things. 
And I want you to go after some things hard, not as in, not as in my absence only, but like I'm there with you. I want you to go after these things full force for God is working in you. And he's not just working in you to do some things. He's working in you to will and to work. He's working in you to give you the desire and the energy. So let's go after these qualities and this progression of faith in full reliance upon God who gives every good gift to his children. Does that make sense? We're going to trust God and know that God gets the glory and we're going to work hard in the discipleship process. And one of those two things have often been missing. One, we either trust God and give Him all the glory and we do nothing and therefore we aren't discipled. I don't really feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church i don't feel like fellowshipping i don't feel like worshiping so if i do it i'll be a hypocrite if i do these things right so i just don't feel like it so i'm not gonna do it god you got to give me the feeling let me tell you sometimes the feeling comes from doing it most of the time the feeling comes from doing it so we leave off the our part and just wait on god to sprinkle some kind of holy ghost fairy dust on us to fix all of our feelings and make us want to do what we're supposed to do or the other error has been we work ourselves to death striving ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth because we don't sit at the feet of Jesus and trust him and give him the glory it's both and God is working to supply through our faith these qualities. And we are applying all diligence to go after these qualities. And together we mature and disciple. The fifth word is produce. Produce. There's a provider who gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He gives us precious and magnificent promises that make us partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is found in the world through lust. And, the, and then he puts us in this beautiful progression of maturity which produces five qualities that we see in verses 8 and following. Now don't be scared. I'm going to hit these fast, so hang on tight. What does this progression produce? First of all, it makes us useful. Verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may have been told you've been useless before. Some of you may have been told that by your parents when they've asked you to do chores for the third time. But I can tell you how you can not be useless, spiritually speaking. If these qualities are yours that were just described by Peter and they're increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. The word useless here can be translated barren, idle, slothful. But these qualities will keep us from becoming sideline sitting spectators of the faith. Useful. Not only 
Do these qualities produce a usefulness but also a fruitfulness? He says they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. With the increasing presence of these qualities in our lives, we will not be unfruitful. And this is crucial because Jesus made it clear that we would know them by their what? Fruits. Here's a promise that comes out of this progression of disciple-making and discipling and maturing that if these qualities are ours and they're on the increase, we're not going to go to our grave being useless for the kingdom and we're not going to go to our grave being unfruitful for the kingdom. But we will be useful and fruitful. Third word is clarity. Verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities... You don't have these qualities. You're blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Those who lack the virtues in question are nearsighted. They may have 20-20 vision when it comes to sports. They may have 20-20 vision when it comes to their 401k. They may have 20-20 vision when it comes to the stock market. They may have 20-20 vision when it comes to the news and the 2020 election. They may have 20-20 vision about everything on this earth and in this world. And be unable to see with clarity the eternal and the invisible. But when these qualities are yours and they're increasing, you will have clarity. You won't be blind. You won't be short-sighted. What does the hymn say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. If we fail to turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of heaven will grow strangely dim in the shadow of this worldly place. Fourthly, there's security. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Wow. Peter just made a big promise here that if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you will never stumble. Now, James 3.2 tells us that we all stumble in many ways. We all sin, we all fail, we all fall short. But according to one commentator, the word here carries with it this idea that you shall not by any means fall ever. It may be a life of many storms, but it is not possible that it should end in shipwreck. These qualities are are yours and they're increasing. You will be useful. You will be fruitful. You will have clarity when it comes to seeing clearly the eternal and the spiritual. You're going to have security. And fifthly, you're going to be supplied with what? Verse 11, for in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. If these qualities are ever increasing in us, we will be supplied with what? Entrance into the eternal kingdom, eternal life. Now before you say, well, that's works. You know, I've got to keep these qualities going. I've got to have these qualities growing if I'm going to be guaranteed eternal life. Isn't that salvation by works? You just forgot the first P, provision. He's provided us all of this, everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's provided us faith, which out of that faith comes the moral excellence. 
and the knowledge and the self-control and the steadfastness and the godliness and the brotherly affection and the love that when they increase in our lives gives us a free and assured entrance into the eternal kingdom. In essence, we sow to the Spirit with a progressing maturity and we reap eternal life in the end. Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. What are we supposed to be avoiding? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's provision of everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's promises, precious and magnificent. There's the partakers of the divine nature who escape corruption in this world. There's a progression of discipleship that God works in and through us and that we apply all diligence going after, which produces in us usefulness, fruitfulness, clarity, security, and supply in the end into the eternal kingdom of our God and our Father. And lastly, priority. Why are we taking two months to flesh out these qualities? If what they produce in us is not enough, it was Peter's priority. His, you know, the closer you get to death, I think the clearer you see. You get in a, an announcement that you've got two to three months to live because you have stage four cancer and everything comes into clarity doesn't it you realize that most of the things we live our life for are wastes because you're staring eternity in the face and peter is staring eternity in the face he's going to soon be crucified upside down and what we just read will become his priority until the day he steps into eternity. Listen to verses 12 to 15, and we're almost finished here. He says, therefore, therefore, in verse 12, because of all that I just said, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Now, some of these things we're going to cover over the next couple of months, you already know. But in the words of Peter, you may already know them, but I'm going to always be ready to remind you of them. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Do you see how seriously Peter is taking this little passage of Scripture that we're going to flesh out? Peter's going to make pounding this into them his number one priority until he dies, which is near. He says, God's provided you with everything you need, people. He's given you promises, precious and magnificent. 
And I want you to apply all diligence in your faith walk to add to your faith moral excellence and to your moral excellence knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and to self-control steadfastness and to steadfastness godliness and to godliness brotherly affection and to brotherly affection love. I want you to labor in these things because if these things are yours and they're on the increase you won't be useless. You won't be unfruitful. You won't be blind. You won't risk falling away. And you will have the kingdom abundantly supplied to you and I will see you on the other side. Pretty important, huh? This priority. And it all begins with faith. Could it be that one of the reasons we haven't matured as disciples and one of the reasons we haven't discipled others it's not just because we haven't been discipled ourselves and that we don't feel like we measure up, but because we've never truly been brought into the kingdom of God and had our hearts transformed to give us a burning desire and passion to make His name great from here to the ends of the earth. Listen, it's not just preachers and missionaries that are called to disciple. It's all of us. Not just in a corporate context, but individually. And maybe one of the reasons we have such immaturity is because many people who grace the membership roles of our churches don't even have saving faith. I say it all the time, I say it again. Jesus Christ has provided us with everything we need. He has stepped out of eternity He did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, took on the form of humanity, and lived a life of sinless, holy perfection in our place and was obedient even to the point of death, not just any death, but death on a cross where he took your sin and my sin upon himself. And God the Father judged our sin and Jesus on the cross. He lived the life that God requires of you. He died the death that our sin deserves. And he went to the grave. But on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And God has highly exalted him, given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to appeal to you, invite you, plead with you, beg you this morning to look at yourself in the spiritual mirror of God's holiness and ask yourself, have you truly been transformed? Have you truly been revolutionized? Has the righteousness of Jesus truly been put on your account? Has your sin debt truly been paid? Have you truly been made a follower of Jesus Christ? If not, please, please, please call upon His name now. Turn from your sin. Put your trust and your faith in Him. And call upon His name until He gives you assurance that you're His child. That's our hope for you. That's our prayer for you as we move into faith next week and begin to see what these qualities entail for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love, Your grace, Your mercy. We thank You for providing us with everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. For giving us such precious and magnificent promises. For allowing us, sinful enemies of you, to be made partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption 
that is all around us in this world. Thank you for giving us a very clear progression of discipleship and maturity and discipling in your word, which produces such wonderful promises and hopes in our lives. Help us with Peter to make them a priority as we move forward. And if God, if there's one who has not been given faith, has not been granted repentance and faith by your goodness and grace, I pray that you would bring them to repentance, bring them to faith, give them a new heart, put your spirit within them, transform them even today before they leave this place. And we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we close, a few of our pastors will be at the fountain. If you need to come and talk with any of them, have any of them pray for you about anything. As we're dismissed, you make your way to them. They'll be glad to talk with you, pray with you, point you to Jesus. If you have an offering to give, there'll be some green buckets around. You can place your offering in those buckets as you leave here today. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to attend, your faithfulness to give generously, and your faithfulness to what God's doing here at and in and through the people of this church. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you need prayer, make your way to the fountain. If you need to give, you can do that on your way out in any of these buckets. You can fellowship as long as you feel the need to fellowship here. We thank you for being here this morning. hope you've received a blessing from being here together with us.